everybody. It's Sam, that girl with the curls, bringing you another awesome episode of the podcast uh, in the same week. Uh, we, the last one was on Monday. This one is on Friday, and uh, it's mostly just to uh, make sure that these come out uh, in a timely fashion because as February is the shortest month of the year, and the uh, the Kickstarter for Femme Magnifique, which this episode is once again concerning, uh, that'll be done by mid-March. So I want to get these out as soon as possible, and um, I will be doing interviews at Emerald City Comic Con as well, which is about um, a week and a half, I believe, before the Kickstarter is completely done. So yeah, these are these are coming out really quick, so there might be a, a small hiatus before Emerald City, but after Emerald City there'll be at the very least, uh, another, um, one or two more. So just giving you a heads up on that one. Next week might be a little bit bare. It's been a bit thin anyway lately, but you know, just letting you know, don't, don't get your hopes up. This is going to be a recurring thing that happens. I don't think I could survive that. Um, Lord knows what you guys could survive, but, uh, yeah, this is, uh, again, a Femme Magnifique Kickstarter, which is at this point, uh, it's more than halfway funded, so it will be funded by the the uh, March deadline, and you get on the ground floor. I can't encourage you enough. There's just some amazing creators uh, attached to this, uh, three of which you will be listening to here. Uh, these interviews are with Robin Firth and uh, Ming Doyle and Elisa Quitney, uh, all all of which were all of whom, sorry, grammatically need to correct that, all of whom were amazing to talk to just I've a shameless self you know love moment here uh but I've been extraordinarily lucky to get to talk to the the people I have been lately uh not that it wasn't always a privilege before but it's just the amount of creators who have expressed interest in wanting to at least come on the show and talk about it and then just even in these small conversations getting so much out of them and uh just talking to some really amazing women so yeah, um, I couldn't ask for anything more at this point. Um, so, yeah, I really hope you enjoy it, and uh, please again support Femme Magnifique, and if you're going to be at Emerald City Comic Con, please let me know, or you can come to my panel, uh, one of the, not my panel, but the panel I will be on on Sunday. It's uh, early, like one of the early morning ones, about 10.45, and if I was better at this, I would tell you what it's called but all I can tell you is that it's about the um, the adjacent careers to uh, comic books that aren't necessary that aren't the writer and the uh, and the artist. Uh, so myself as a podcaster and sometimes a reviewer of comics and writer of op-eds about comics, uh, I will be there kind of representing that section. So if you're at Emerald City, please come out. Uh, I'll definitely be around. You'll probably see the hair. Uh, and uh, then also come to the panel on Sunday where I and several other creators will be talking about uh, what we do and how we got into it, you know, those typical things. So uh, yeah, now that that's over and I've gone three minutes on, a, on an intro, uh, here, please do enjoy uh, episode 84 of uh, That Girl with the Curls podcast, all about Femme Magnifique, yet again, part two, get into it. Donnez-moi une suite au Ritz, je n'en veux pas des bijoux de chez Chanel, je n'en veux pas, donnez-moi une limousine, j'en ferai quoi, papa, 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 papa
et moi du personnel J'en ferai quoi Un manoir à Neuchâtel C'est pas pour moi Offrez-moi la tour Eiffel J'en ferai quoi I love um, I love the fact that it's men and women because mm -hmm. I think that's really you know important too just to kind of unify you know yeah show, show women are influential on men as well well and and that's been the thing too because um so my sister has a, a an infant uh, so my nephew uh and and what I mean, not that I wouldn't have done this if it was a girl, but at the same time, it's important that we really stress to men how important, like, women's history and the involvement of women throughout all kinds, you know, it's like, you have to show them that kind of empathy and sympathy and involvement. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it's so funny, because I also, my, my, one of my, one of my sisters has two girls, and one has a little boy, mm -hmm. and he's eight now, and one of the things I was so touched, like, he's so proud that I work in comics oh. started to draw comics and write comics oh. and he wrote in it my aunt Robin draws comics and or, I don't I don't draw writes comics, <laughs> comics I write comics but he said, and I want to be just like her when I grow up and I thought that's quite wonderful for yeah. a boy to say that about a female yeah. relative do you know what I mean exactly the, um, I don't know if you've ever saw the, the Legend of Korra the cartoon uh, no, I haven't. So, I mean, this isn't a spoilery thing, but there's a male character who who says that his idol is a female character uh, from the previous show, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Uh, oh, oh, that's great. Yeah, and it was one of those first times that I had ever really seen like it's a male character saying like I idolize a female character as as my hero, you know, and yeah. I I thought that was tremendously important, even if it's a small moment. It's like that's important right there. I do. I think it is really important. I also think it's awful when the situation happens where it's kind of divide and conquer. Because mm -hmm. if you think about, I've been thinking about this a lot because of the whole, you know, with Donald Trump, the whole kind of white male group getting back into power. And I was thinking, when you think about that, the lie of it is. That they're just ordinary guys. Mm -hmm. These are the people who've always had power, yeah. always had money, and it's just, it's almost like to divide people against one another, people who have power can manipulate everyone and keep the power. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And instead of sharing it with, you know, everyone who deserves it, no matter what their gender, their color, their sexual orientation oh yeah it's it's like the the bare the bare minimum of human decency is apparently lost on no, exactly. this oh, exactly. yeah and it, it's like the 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 minute someone does something like who's in that that position of power and they do something that's actually like completely decent you're like are we supposed to reward you for just being a basic human being now yeah <laughs> and it's so disappointing because i i wrote a thing to my nephew actually after he was born he was he, um, he was four days old, and it was right around the time that Trump was elected and everything. Oh, my God, he's that little. Yeah, he's that little. He's only three months oh. old. Yeah. Oh, and, goodness. Uh, and, and I wrote a thing to him, and I'm just like, you know, no one's going to – I told him, 
these are the things you need to know. Like the, you know, you need to listen to people who aren't you, people who aren't like you read about people who aren't like you, um, and, and elevate people who are, you know, not given the, the platform for their voices. Like you're a white boy. You have to do this now. <laughs> like, and it's an, you will be so important to him. Mm-hmm. And you know, that is so important. It's funny, you know, cause, uh, my, we were talking about the magnifique yeah. and, um, the woman I'm doing um, with Devaki is Ursula Le Guin. Oh yeah, yeah. We're, yeah we are recording. Actually, Just letting you know we're recording now, so don't worry about it. So. <laughs> we are recording. Yeah, now. we are recording. So we've gotten all this. So. <laughs> oh, is that all right? Oh, you. Uh, I hope I'm not being silly. I'm glad you're not. You're not taking our pictures because. Uh, are you? No, no, no. I'm not. No. If 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 I was doing that, I wouldn't look like this right now. <laughs> It's like in nature where you see, I mean, you know, animals adapt based on, you know, the gender disparity or, you know, it's the, the whole thing. If you took Finding Nemo at its realistic point of view that, you know, (laughs) because Nemo's a male fish, his father would have become female. Oh, wow. It's a terrible thing to think about when someone points out the actual physiology of clownfish. You're like... I, I have, yeah, there's a couple of friends I have who spoil things like that for me, but I in turn spoil history things for them, so. Oh, well, there you go. It's a, it's a mutual destruction of fantasy with reality. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. And it's you know, thinking about this, you know, um, when you said questions that you were interested in about how I found out about Femme Magnifique and why I wanted to take part. Yeah. I mean, I've respect for Shelley. Mm-hmm. Always has. She's done amazing work. So I was just so pleased when um, she wrote to me and told me about this project. And I was really excited. And I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking about, you know, when I was a young girl in the 70s and what I was told a woman could be. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, oh, a woman could never be the president of the United States because she might cry. And I thought, well, is that such a bad thing? It's like, I don't understand why crying prevents you from leading the world. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like, you know, she wouldn't be able to do something hard. or something. Yeah. But you know what? We need people who cry, you know, yeah. and, and, and should cry. But, you know, there were so many things that I, whether you're told directly or indirectly, mm-hmm. that you can't do. And um, one of the good things my, in my family, there were all girls, so my dad didn't have a son, so all of his ambitions were pushed on his daughters, you know? So there was that element of, you know, um, as girls, you have to do something. Yeah. So, but as I got older, that question of what you can and can't do as a woman, 
I started to really question. And then you look into history and you realize, you know, like one one woman that I learned about, Afra Ben, mm-hmm. the playwright, she was born in uh, 1660. Okay. And she, she was a politician, a playwright, a spy. She was this amazing woman. I thought, why haven't I heard of this woman before? Mm-hmm. You know, but you, you, there are all these women and, and, you know, one woman will be held up. Like you think about um, Georgia O'Keeffe, wonderful artist. Yeah. But when you start to poke around, you realize that she was part of a whole group mm-hmm. of women. There were quite a few. You know, it, it just seems like history is so selective. And, um, oh, yeah, the, the whole written by the winners kind of mentality. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, we'll elevate one or two voices. But, you know, and it's, it's, it's usually, I mean, it's always women and people of color whose voices are denied entrance into the historical record. Because God forbid that they were around the whole time, you know? It's true. And the other thing I've been thinking about as well, my husband and I have been talking about a lot, is um, the class mm-hmm. issue as well. Yeah. That, because, um, you know, my, my husband Mark, he comes from, um, he, was, he was the first person in his family to go to university. Mm-hmm. And um, that whole thing of, depending on your background, for many people, there's this glass ceiling, and yeah. it can be like no one expects you to move beyond that. And there actually is a ceiling, so you bash your head against it. Mm-hmm. And people, it's almost like um, you're not supposed to go yeah. beyond this. If you do, you're a danger. And um, it it just the whole class issue came up a lot with the um, the election of Trump. You know, mm-hmm. it's like oh, it's all you know. People were blamed, like, oh, you know, working class men voted for mm-hmm. Trump. But the horrible truth is, so many people voted for Trump. Yeah, like the, the, the white women vote. I was just like, God damn it, white what? women. <laughs> it's horrifying. And then, you know, um, well-educated mm-hmm. people of all different backgrounds. And you're just like, are you nuts? Yep. And have relatives who voted for him and have had many arguments. And... You know, it's kind of, what do you do? And I think that it is really important in these dark times to try and say what we've been told is history is not necessarily accurate, like you were saying, mm-hmm. about who writes the history. Yeah. It, and who, who has the privilege of, of keeping track of these things publicly? Exactly. Like, the, the elevation of voices is tremendously important, especially when you're trying to, you know, flesh out the historical record. I mean... There are definitely people who who would rather it just stayed old, crusty white people, white men, you know. Yeah. But yeah. the the more you get into, like, I love reading Howard Zinn because it's the people's history, yes. you know. Exactly what I was just going to say. I've been thinking a lot about about Zinn and, and people's history, mm-hmm. and also even to that was a real revelation to me too. Yeah. To realize about that, you know, in. I get how old was I in my 20s or early 20s something when I really realized it was this whole other history yeah you yeah. know not just kings and queens and presidents and it's the you know, yeah the, politicians the, and generals the people on the ground floor are, are just you know the this the mechanics and the you know the tinkerers and the you know the uh, I always love the the story about the women during the revolution who were doing the homespun you know, and that, that was their means because economically, you know, that's what they could do. Um, yeah. Cause uh, I'm, um, I'm an archivist by profession. So yeah. So 
Yeah, and, and one of the things we are struggling with now, even though this has kind of gone through the profession in cycles, is, you know, the fact that archives is also a very kind of, is very, a uh, very white dominated profession. And, and so, like, what do we do to elevate voices that are not our own and, um, and elevate archivists, you know, people of color, women of color, all that, to, um, to really flesh out our profession as well, to have different voices so everyone's everyone's trying to deal with it in their best yeah, way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we have been we're, we're we've been kind of like roundabout talking about uh, Femme Magnifique, which right, yeah, right, no, yeah. <laughs> which is perfectly fine. Every interview has gone different, and I love that. So this is so cool. Um, just being able to talk to you, first of all, really cool. So. Oh, wonderful. Thanks so much for asking. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Um, just, just talk about it. It's great. Definitely. Yeah. And, and, um, cause these are going about 15, 20 minutes, you know, you know, all together. So, um, we have covered, uh, Ursula Le Guin a little bit, but I was wondering if, if there's anything else you'd like to say about your particular story about her, or are you doing like straight biographical? Or are you focusing on something in particular about her life? That's something I'm still talking about. Um, Devaki and I are going to mm-hmm. need to flesh out because one of my ideas was to go back and forth between um, her influence on me and her biography. Mm-hmm. And someone who works in fantasy, one of the things that I love is her life. You know, she has her life as a writer, the mm-hmm. straight biography, but then the imaginary biography of all the different um, the different worlds and lands she's lived in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think her husband, I, I think, was a historian, and I think her father was um, an anthropologist. Oh, okay. She really did learn about many different cultures, mm-hmm. you know, through her life, and that really comes through in her work. And I think as a writer and an artist, you always have your everyday life, but then you're where you live in your imagination mm-hmm. is been this whole other world. Yeah. You know, and the two intersect and mm-hmm. one influences the other. So yeah, with Ursula Le Guin, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about, you know, with three pages, there's so much yeah. to get in there. So, um, and she's in her eighties now. Oh man. Did you, I mean, do you, have you ever been in contact with her? Like, did you tell her you were doing this or? You know, and I think I'm going to write to her. My, one of my proudest moments was um, years ago, back in the 90s. I was, because I also write, my, my first publications were poetry. Mm-hmm. And I was published in the Poetry Journal along with Ursula Le Guin. Ooh. And <laughs> I was just over the moon. You know, I thought, oh! <laughs> you know, it's one of the, the, you know, people whose work I admire most to be in the same publication with her was wonderful. Mm-hmm. So I actually have, I've been actually, um, I, I follow her, um, you know, her, her stuff online, mm-hmm. but I actually, I need to try and get in touch with her. I was a little, uh, um, shy to tell you the truth. You know, it's like, hello, you don't know anything about me, but I'm a great fan and, and <laughs> I'm going to be writing about you and I hope you don't mind. <laughs> Cause I know that she, um, she's been very careful. Now there's going to be a, a, a biographical, a film about her life, I believe. They did mm. the crowdfunding yeah. for it. There'd be um, a, a film about her. Um, but, um, oh, where 
was I going with that? My brain. Uh, um, Ursula talking to her. Yeah, yeah. So I was just <laughs> to to actually get in touch with her. I was just a little bit shy, but I am going to try to do that and um, get her blessing. Because mm-hmm. she, oh, I know what I was going to say. She's actually been very careful about letting people adapt her work for mm. the screen or for um, even, even animated things. Yeah, well. Because I saw the, yeah, I saw Ursi the the TV movie or the miniseries that Sci-Fi attempted to do, and ooh. yeah, I think she wasn't very pleased. So it's a little scary. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. Yeah, being someone, I mean, you you're you're working on the Dark Tower stuff, you know, Stephen King yeah. stuff, uh, because you've worked with him for quite a long time, and you're in, in charge of, of that property basically for Marvel and and whatnot. So having a, a writer be so involved versus, you know, someone like Ursula, who's a little bit more distant from it, but still highly critical of it. Yeah. It's like that can't... Yeah. No, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Yeah, no, it, it can't be easy, especially like you're trying to tell a story about someone who's living, you know, where a, a lot of these stories that that I've been seeing so far on the Kickstarter page are people who are no longer with us, you know? So I feel like that's extra pressure on you in some ways. It's scary because you want to, um, to do justice to the work. And it is a bit that like that when I do work with Stephen King's dark tower, there's always that like, Oh no, I'm okay. You know, (laughs) but, um, having known Stephen King for quite a while now and, and being able to, you know, kind of go back and forth with him about certain things. I've, I've gotten more comfortable, but I, I think I, you've inspired me. I will actually try again, get up my courage and contact Ursula Le Guin because she's just amazing. I mean, she mm-hmm. was born in 19, I believe it's 29, same year as my dad. Oh, wow. Yeah. But think of the changes she's seen in her life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the, and the evolution of, of the women's movement and mm-hmm. the transformations, because, I mean, she'll have remembered the Second World War. Yep. Um, you know, and tremendous changes through the U.S., so... Mm-hmm. No, that's... Really that's thing. so... Yeah, you think about that, like... Because my grandmother was born in 32, so... Wow. You know, talk, oh, wow! Yeah. yeah. My dad was quite old. He just passed Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's like you, you want to, you don't realize how important those stories become really until you, the your accessibility to them is, is basically kind of, you know, gone. So it's like if I could talk to my grandmother now, uh, she passed away back in 2007. Um, so it's like if I could talk to her now about the things that she saw growing up and what she, what she would have been seeing now that would have been like, that just would have been cool to like talk to her about it. Oh, exactly. And I think about that and I think about, you know, my grandmother and what she saw mm-hmm. and the world that she was born into. It's just, it's, it's a gone world, yeah. you know? Um, and my grandmother actually, just on the subject of Femme Magnifique and the, you know, the untold stories. Mm-hmm. Um, my father's mother, uh, was born in Czechoslovakia, old Czechoslovakia in mm-hmm. the, end of the very very end of the um 19th century oh wow and she trained as a doctor really to go to a 
special school. She was one of two girls led into the school. She had to take special exams. She um, she had to be bilingual, German and Czech. Mm-hmm. She was a German speaker in her household, but um, you know she had to speak Czech at school. Mm-hmm. And the way that she had to deal with being a woman, I think it was a real problem for her. And she always said when we were growing up, um, she from a young age she was mad at God for making her a woman because of what she wanted to be. Mm-hmm. She couldn't as a woman, but she did a lot. But she always felt that there was a wall. Yeah, her. no, and and that's like that's the tragedy of it too. It's like talented yes. women, you know, who who could go so far, you know, if if society had just opened up to them, and then feeling yeah. like because I am this, I am now therefore just so much less, you know, and it's just so heartbreaking and disappointing when you hear those stories. No, it really is. It really, really is. And, um, there was a friend of my mom's, um, and she's an African American woman and she was about my mom's age. So, you know, gosh, back in the, um, I guess it was the, early 80s, I was talking to her Mm -hmm. about her life, and she was saying that, um, you know, she wanted to train as a, as a teacher, but, you know, where she could train, and, you know, she was only allowed, you know, being, from her background, being a woman, Mm -hmm. um, I think they only let her train, you know, certain, elementary, and, you know, so many things were blocked off to her, just wasn't allowed, and you think how frustrating it is for people yeah especially if they want to do you know if there's work that they they just really want to do like being a teacher being a doctor these are professions where you're like yeah we need people who are are good and talented and you know uh, again it goes back to the you know have sympathy and empathy and you know emotional connections to people because that's where you make that long-standing um impression on others yeah you know so, uh, like, it, it, it just gets kind of depressing after a while. I, you know, but, you know, it's funny also to kind of think about the, the good things. Mm-hmm. You know the film that, that's come out about the, um, the women who work for NASA? The, yeah, Hidden Figures. Hidden Figures. The woman who wrote that is actually in Maine, Maine, this little road where so much happens. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the daughter-in-law of my neighbor. Oh, up at me, so I know her. Nice woman, and, and I found out that she was writing the book, you know, and then that the film deal was taken. And you think about those stories. Mm-hmm. That's just amazing, and that was a completely hidden story. Yeah, the... Well, yeah. The, the more that they can get out there, the more that we, uh, again, like going back to like fleshing out the historical record where you're just like, yeah, yeah. these, these women were just as involved and not, not only that, so, but they were instrumental. Like Exactly. I haven't seen the film yet. I, w- I really would like to. Have you seen the film? Not, no, not yet. Um, when it came out, I was traveling for work and then I have nephew. So. <laughs> oh, yes, you have this huge thing. That's congratulations. Oh, that thank you. I'll extend that to my sister. I'll be like, let, I'm just letting you know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. That's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And it will make such a difference to the world, you know? Little kids, yep. despite what's happening now with Trump and co. No, I, uh, the, the one thing I have to look forward to, because I was born in 84, right when Reagan took 
office. I don't remember anything about the Reagan administration. So my, my hopes for him is that by the time he's old enough to remember any kind of a presidential anything, Trump's gone. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Hopefully disgraced and out the door. Oh, please. Please, please, please. (laughs) I know. The thing that it actually sometimes keeps me awake at night thinking, what damage will he do while he's in there? And how long will it take to reverse? And you think about environmental damage and you think about Mm -hmm. um, the political damage, damage to the justice system. Yeah. Because I'm in England right now. So I'm actually flying to the States and I'll be staying with my sister in just a couple of days. Mm Mm-hmm. Actually, two days. Scary. But <laughs> how does it feel actually in the States right now? I mean, I know there's tremendous amounts of protests. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's weird because, I mean, personally, I went through, you know, just these phases of anger and frustration. It's like, because I, I mean, I have personal anxiety issues just regularly wise, but this just amped it up. We um, all do. Tell you what yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah. the the Women's March was a huge you know, just an amazing experience to be a part of. Um, I, I was actually volunteering with a bunch of uh, other archivists to do an oral history project. Great. Yeah. So we were recording, uh, so we, my, uh, a friend of mine who actually went to the same college as I did and another archivist from the university of Washington, we, uh, we were there in the Seattle March and collected about 1820, um, people to just kind of let us know why you're here. What are you doing? Um, uh, so things like that have been helpful in kind of relieving the stress. Um, yeah. yeah, but every day it's like you, you open your phone up and you're like, I don't want to see what's going on right now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. When you get the news feed, mm-hmm. you know, I'm the same. Cause I've been, you know, I, I, and I know many friends are, you know, all of a sudden you're addicted to what's, what's happening now. Yeah. And, you know, making phone calls and, and, um, writing letters and here I am so far away and mm-hmm. don't make my voice hurt somehow yeah, and I went on the London march um but you just you can it's it's fighting that sense of hopelessness and just mm-hmm. keeping going um which trying I'm trying to and which I'm hoping that because uh that's the thing that about Femme Magnifique that I I really what I've been getting from the the interviews I've I've been doing is like this is is kind of like that companion that can get you through the dark times in a lot of ways. Like, yes. here, here are women who have accomplished Definitely. great things. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I tell you something actually off the recording bit. Um, I can I can edit it out. Don't worry. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I got an email from a woman, a friend of mine, who she's practicing. You know, she's a pagan, but she got this whole thing through. That all over. United States and the and the um, the world. I thought this was really interesting. There are people doing binding spells on Trump. <laughs> great, great. Let's hope it works. Please, if there was if there was a time for magic to be real, like please let it be now. I, I thought the same thing, and I thought this is great. I hope it works. <laughs> and they're doing it. Um, she said, like every waning moon on a certain day at midnight, mm-hmm. they're all doing this thing, like all over the world. And I thought. Yeah, you're you're doing the work. Yeah, exactly. Anything that helps. So I just didn't want that to go in the interview, just in case somebody thought I was crazy. No, no, no. I'll I'll take it out. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I just thought that was great because you know things like that they kind of cheer me up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're like just whatever's whatever 
always gonna you know, if if you think it'll help, fine. If it actually did help, oh my god. <laughs> I mean, that's what I thought. I mean, who knows? But I liked the thought of it. Like I was named after a witch, so you know my yeah, yeah Samantha Stevens. I was named after. Her. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so I I feel like whatever contributions I can make to that, go for it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's great. <laughs> Um, and so before we go, uh, I, I would like to ask like the one question I've been at least consistently asking everyone is, um, what would you like people to take away from, uh, Femme Magnifique, if not your story, then from the, the anthology as a whole? The huge range of what women can do. Mm -hmm. And I would, I mean, it's going to be a really big book and maybe in the future there will be more volumes of it. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And I, the picture I always have in my mind is of some little kid, little girl, picking up the book and just being amazed mm-hmm. at this history that no one told her about. Yeah. Oh. Possibilities. The and things that you wish you had when you were a kid. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And it's a slow haul. Otherwise, you know, you have to all of a sudden, you know, it hits you like, wow, everything I told was told was not true, mm-hmm. you know? And um, even things as silly as using Ms. instead of, you know, Mrs. or Miss. Yeah. So that you're on even footing. Like someone, they don't need to know if you're married or not. Nope. Why should someone need to know if you're married or not? But I remember when um, uh, Ms. Magazine, well, not when Ms. Magazine started to come out, but yeah. when I had a teacher at school would call us like, so Ms. Earth or Ms., you know, and kind of joking about it, but actually I really liked it, and that's when I decided I was going to be Ms., because I wanted to, you know, just to make that assertion, yeah. you know, that and I kept my maiden name, which I have no problem whenever somebody tries to, you know, decides to do either way, mm-hmm. but these little things... Yeah. Um, they make a difference, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, in your identity, and you can choose your identity, and you can maintain certain aspects of your identity. Yeah, you don't have to but, lose yourself because a, a you know a, a a name changed. You know, exactly, exactly. And your history, and that's the other thing about histories being erased. Mm-hmm. You know, um, not that, the, that someone has to one like I said one way or the other. It's a personal decision what somebody decides to do. Yeah. But it's another way of, of erasing someone if, without their consent. Mm-hmm, you know, yeah. if somebody wants to change and transform, and there are plenty of uh, women artists and writers who've done their work under a married name, and that becomes the name that, like Ursula Le Guin, that's her married name. Mm-hmm. That's not her maiden name. And then you have Sylvia Plath, who kept, you know, her maiden name as mm-hmm. a writer. But, yeah, I really hope that it ends this book, and hopefully books end up, all over the place, schools, public libraries, and people pull them down and they learn about the past. And like I said, it would be amazing if we could add people in like Afro-Ben. Mm-hmm. So people say, you know, there have been amazing women back hundreds and hundreds of years. Yep. No, there's, you know, there's plenty of them. There's, there's uh, an entire world history of people to cover. So Exactly. Yep. If if yeah. there's gonna be Femme Magnifique Volume Two, Three, Four, Five, however many, like there's there's never gonna they're never gonna run out of people. No, exactly, exactly. 
Excellent. Well, um, and also before we go, where can people find you online should they wish to contact you and whatnot? And do you have anything you would like to promote, like a book or a con uh, that's coming up for you? Well, um, my uh, I don't have a website up and going yet, but I hopefully will in the spring. I've been saying this forever. <laughs> but I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm not the best person when it comes to social media, but I do like to kind of keep in touch with people and, and things like that people who are reading the work um, mm-hmm. we just finished up the uh the present run of the dark tower comics but hopefully we'll be back at the time when the film comes out cool and and having uh i just actually have been moving into fiction so fantasy and science fiction um which is i'm really proud to be in there because they actually published the first gunslinger story oh. but they've accepted one of my stories so i'll be out in the summer issue oh, that's so cool uh, Bride and Sea Green Velvet. I'm, the name might, of the story might change. Okay. Right now, Bride and Sea Green Velvet. So hopefully there'll be more news on that front with the publications of fiction soon. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, no. Yeah, so that's fun because like, I love comics. Mm-hmm. I've, I've always loved fiction as well. And I've published poetry, I've published comics, and I now I really want to also move into the... The prose, the prose writing, yeah. No. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's, do, do, you, do you do fiction writing and prose writing as well as the I, other? Yeah, because yeah, the, the article writing for the most part, I've had um, two, I've had a, a short comic published um, in uh, Red Stylo Media's, it was um, works based around the discography of Queen. Uh, wow, oh, that's great. Yeah, so I got a, yeah, I picked a Queen song, The the White Queen, as it began, and wrote a story, I wrote a noir, uh, a noir story around it. Um, oh, yeah, and then I, I'm also I have a short published in it's a, a local Seattle uh, magazine called um, Mad Scientist uh, Weekly, basically. Oh, great! <laughs> yeah, so I I got to write about a weather machine, which has always been kind of my Mad Scientist fantasy kind of scenario. So, <laughs> oh, wonderful! Yeah, no, I'm I mean shameless plug and self promotion. I mean, if you'd ever like to read them, I can totally send them to you. Send you mine too. So. Yeah. No, I would love exchange. Excellent. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. I, so, I... Huh? Sorry. Oh, I said it's been great to talk to you. Yeah. It's been really good. Yeah, you too. No, I'm. I've been enjoying. Like every interview has been just so great, and uh, yeah, I've got two more today. So yours and um, I think. Wow. It's... Yeah, well, they're, I mean, they're going, they're, they're pretty short from what I'm used to doing. I don't know if you've seen any of the podcasts, but they can go like an hour and a half to two hours, so. Yes, actually, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, so uh, your, this, the episode that you'll be a part of uh, will probably go out on next, this coming up Friday, I think is when that one will go out. Oh, wow, okay, yeah, so, um, so do I just, because do I just actually go to your podcast to... Yeah, um, you can you can do that, or because uh, I'll I'll probably I'm I'm I, I don't think I'm following you yet on Twitter, but I will tag you on Twitter, on Facebook, all that. Oh, wonderful! That's great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so and look forward to all of them and keep up the great work. Yeah, you too. Like I, again, like it's just been so great talking to you. Like this is this has been really cool. So thank it's you. Been really fun. Well, thank you so much for talking to me, and I hope I didn't blither on too much. No, no, no one can possibly do that more than me. So. Well, no, you were great. <laughs> well, you have a, a good rest of your evening, all right? You too. Take care. Bye. Bye.
So uh, let's let's formally do this then. Uh, Ming Doyle, welcome to that girl with the curls podcast. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Yay! Uh, and so the the reason you're here is obviously to talk about uh, Femme Magnifique, which is the Kickstarter uh, currently going and will hopefully be fully funded by before its end date. So uh, um, yeah, it's looking pretty good so far. I yeah. think that there's a lot of interest in these kinds of stories, so I'm pretty pretty hopeful. Hold on, I'm scaling over to Kickstarter right now to see where we're at. Yeah, I think we need to get around forty thousand dollars, right? Something I like think that. We can do. Yeah, we're at, we're at about halfway, and it's only been, like, what, less than a week or about a week or something like that? I think it's going to happen. I mean, Shelley Bond is an amazing, very uh, experienced editor and uh, rabble-rouser. She's got <laughs> quite a group of awesome people uh, and interesting stories. I was just reading that there's going to be a story on Harriet Tubman, too, so mm-hmm. I'm just very excited to check it out. I think it's definitely going to... Well, I hope that it reaches because I want to. I want to be able to do my story as well. <laughs> well, in that in that vein, um, I how did how did you become involved with this? Like, how, did Shelley just reach out to you, or did you know about it beforehand? <laughs> yeah, speaking of the rabble rousing, uh, Shelley just emailed me straight up and asked if I'd like to be involved, and of course I would. I mean, um, I'm only going. I'm going to be drawing just a three page story, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's a small commitment for me, but. Lots of small commitments from lots of amazing people is going to make quite a worthwhile project, I think. Oh, for sure. Um, and uh, they haven't announced who you're doing yet, so I'm not sure if you can say, but... I know. I Well, actually, um, I, I think I can say because my my writer announced it on Twitter. Oh, okay. So I don't know. If this isn't allowed, uh, we'll write it by Shelly, and then she can bleep this whole... You can bleep this whole segment out. For sure. So so just <laughs> but, in case um, you can, who who is it? Yeah. In case I can, it's a uh, Teeny Howard is going to be writing it, or Tiny. I believe it's Teeny. Oh my gosh, the internet. <laughs> so many so many written names. Um, and we're going to be... She's going to be writing, and I'll be illustrating a three-page story about... Uh, famous beat poet of the 60s, Diane DePrima. Ooh, cool. Yeah, That's so awesome. I hope that we can share that now exclusively because it would be so good. The way that uh, Shelley actually got me to sign on, with, uh, she said, I think that you would do great drawing uh, striped shirts, capri pants, and sass, <laughs> and I agree. <laughs> like, I guess, are, are you uh, a fan of the beat poets, or was she more coming at you from the stylistic point of view? a stylistic point of view i'm i'm not incredibly into uh beat poetry or not that i'm not into it just not very familiar with it but mm-hmm. i've been i've been researching diana a bit and she's still around she i think in 2009 she was made uh the poet laureate of san francisco so she's she's still writing she seems pretty awesome mm-hmm. um and how how does it uh, feel to be doing someone who is alive like does that give you like uh, yeah, the added pressure I'm gonna leave that up to Fun Magnifique's legal team. <laughs> I'm, I, I'll just email Shelly. Be like, is it okay? I, because I'm gonna be uh, talking to Teeny at um or Tina <laughs> at uh, em- <laughs> Teeny, uh, Teeny, at Emerald City Comic Con too. So I I, okay, I feel like this is gonna be okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's exciting. I, you know, I, I hope I, I draw her justice. <laughs> <laughs> and have you? Uh, do you guys already have a script that you're working from, or is that still kind of in the the development stage? I think it's still in the development stage. I haven't uh, seen it yet. So far, I've just uh, agreed to sign on and, and do it. If 
that gets funded. So very, mm. very hopeful. <laughs> You're just like, all right, I'm going to start drawing a little bit now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I know. But the good thing about this is that um, I think most of the, the contributors, if not all, are uh, comics professionals that have worked in the field. So I think that Shelley knows that she can accountable <laughs> yeah no it's a it's a veritable who's who in the uh the comic book industry so it's 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 exciting um just even how they're kind of parsing out who's working on what per day sorry my uh, desktop is oh. blowing up with notifications it's no just problem. an exciting life of being a freelance comic <laughs> creator <laughs> um yeah the just kind of looking at that, those every name that kind of starts popping up, you're like, oh, that sounds cool. Oh, that sounds yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I'm very excited for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what what has it been like for you in terms of being a, a freelancer and then you know being involved in these kinds of of, of smaller projects uh, on top of your you know, um, I, w- I would imagine full schedule of, of other projects. <laughs> I love the smaller projects because um, not only is it a great way to get exposed to a wider variety of subjects and uh, co-creators and everything like that, it's easy to kind of hop in and uh, just say a little bit of a piece on something. Uh, It's nice to have a way to keep your name out there a little bit because you're right I mean I'm, I'm working on I've been working on a longer project that isn't announced yet that mm-hmm. has been taking the better part of a year and you know that's something that I toil at behind the scenes and in the meantime for people who follow comics it can be easy to just wonder like oh what's this person up to are they even working so yeah. I think it's important to you know try and try and do some smaller things on the side but so especially something like Femme Magnifique which is such a worthy subject um and something that I'd be interested in doing mm-hmm. even if I had nothing on my plate it, it's definitely really fun like I will make time I will lose time I will do all the time <laughs> oriented things <laughs> yes exactly so uh yeah very very excited and I'm plus to get to work with Shelly and everyone it's it's gonna be a dream and I'm very I think it's gonna be special when it is definitely funded soon <laughs> mm, yes we're just going to put that out there right now into the ether and into the universe. It will be funded and it will be amazing and spectacular. Yes. If we say it, it is so. Exactly. <laughs> Write it down and then it just becomes a memory in our heads. So it'll be fine. Power. Yes. Power <laughs> positive. Right. Okay. Oh man. That's really hard for me. <laughs> oh, I know. It's hard for everyone these days. Uh. <laughs> oh my God. Right. You're like, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Everyone's fine. Everyone's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's okay. just an entire society that that's the dog in the house on fire. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Poor Casey Green. I know. It's like, you, you don't want to be remembered as that being like the big old meme, but it's like, it kind of just covers everything now. <laughs> yeah, we're all, everything so far, always. We're just accepting it, dogs. <laughs> oh my God. It's like, oh yeah, and then it got depressing. And then the podcast got depressing. <laughs> all right, but anyway. But yeah. Uh, like, women. Stories of amazing and magnificent women. Exactly. Uh, positivity. Mm-hmm. No, okay, we're <laughs> shining, gonna get like a shining a light. We'll get like a dream board or something like that. And we'll just put all these words up. And... Yes. Well, and, and you touched on a, a, something that I've definitely been uh, talking about with everyone who I've interviewed. It's this, uh, about Femme Magnifique, is just this uh, amazing platform to tell stories of women who, some are well-known, and then some who aren't so well-known. 
and to kind of get those stories out there to encompass women, you know, to, to, to show that women have been a part of history for, you know, forever. I know. In some ways it feels kind of, um, like how I actually, okay. I'll step back and further mm. not share. So one of the first things that I was ever in that I was ever published in was a girl comics by Marvel, mm-hmm. um, which I believe was in 2008 or nine. Um, and it was coinciding with Marvel's 50th or 60th anniversary. I don't know. But anyway, it was the, the entire conceit of the project was it was several issues where the entire book was done completely by women, you know, women editors, women writers, colorists, letterers, artists, everything. It was an all woman production. And, um, at the time when that came out, everyone was some, well, some people were for it and some people were saying, oh, well, isn't this contributing further to the ghettoization of women by shining a light on them and giving them special treatment or preference or a spotlight even mm-hmm. doesn't this make it seem like women aren't just creators in their own right um that's something i've been thinking about a lot yeah. uh, but i would say i'd say no i would say no because i am not against affirmative action i'm not against uh shining a spotlight on groups that are not as rep- well represented and um media or any other field and I think that that's the case some people might be wondering with Femme Magnifique well, why is it necessary to have an anthology where essentially the general theme is just women mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> uh, which might seem very kind of loose and free-flowing for people and almost like well why bother that's such an expansive subject but to me it's still very worthwhile um and, I, and you know also not to, I mean in Femme Magnifique the, their contributors come from all backgrounds and and genders and everything. It's, it's not just a, a women's, uh, women only production, mm-hmm. but it is women centric. And I think that's exceedingly important because to this day, you just go to a movie theater, you pick up any book on the newsstands, you turn on the TV. Women are represented, but by no means in the 50, 50 kind of, uh, ratio that I think we should be, that you would see if you walked out on the street. And unfortunately, even when women show up in, comic books and movies uh, this isn't the role but mm-hmm. it, it seems to be overwhelmingly that it's more kind of in supporting roles and usually as an accessory to somebody else's story so I think it's going to be very refreshing and rewarding to people to see women take center stage even in just this one kind of freewheeling larger anthology Oh, yeah. And I mean, just from because I'm uh, a history major and, and, and everything. So just to have this kind of uh, this central focus on women as being part of the world narrative. It's like it's not yeah. just like, OK, here's women's history. It's like, no, it's the fact that history is women's history. <laughs> like, yeah. And I mean, I'll say this. I, I don't I consider myself a fairly well-read person and somebody who engages with the culture. And I didn't know anything about Diane de Prima before I was approached by Shelley to work on this book, on this mm-hmm. story. And I think that's, you know, that's pretty sad. Uh, so I think that if this, if this compilation can just bring figures from history and, you know, the contemporary arts uh, into greater prominence and more into the social consciousness, then I, I think that will be an amazing accomplishment and definitely worthwhile because there are so many historical figures out there who are men where, you know, if like mm-hmm. a young upcoming comic book creator is like, oh, I'd like to write a story about 
like a renaissance artist they might just be like well i guess i'll write it about michelangelo because that's who i know yeah and they might not necessarily go to artemisia gentileski or whatever you know mm-hmm. so so to just tell more stories about actual women who've existed uh i think is very uh there's there's space for that still mm-hmm. yeah. as many as many developments as we've made there's still space yeah <laughs> to you know consider women further <laughs> well yeah and it's it's also just the and it's the plethora of stories i mean women are not just one thing like they were all things you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's true and you know it's sad because even maybe this is my own problem i don't know if other people have this as well but a lot of times when you'll ask me to think about a warrior or a scholar or a writer or something the first figure that might pop into my head is a man mm-hmm um, and I, I, you know, I just think a lot of that's cultural indoctrination and a result of, of what I'm familiar with and what I know. And there's definitely a biased presentation of that. So it is rough because, you know, there, women have been all things for all time. And, uh, we got to force ourselves to think about that a little more. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I used to I do the same thing too. Like, uh, I remember having a, I interviewed Lexi Alexander, um, for the podcast one time and we were kind of talking about that fact that the default has always been a dude, you know, and is the yeah. antagonist of your, uh, the protagonist of your story. Default to male. Yeah. And it's just like, well, why don't, why isn't it the other way around? Why isn't it default to female? And, and it seems so simple, but it can, it can change exactly what you're thinking about. Like when I write now, I don't, I try really hard not to make it a guy at the center of it, that it's, it's much more, you know, depending on the story, it's much more female oriented because like, what does it hurt to have more women, you know, main characters? It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't hurt at all. <laughs> and hopefully, you know, we can have this conversation again in another 20 or 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> People will say, oh, we don't need to be having these kinds of collections anymore. I mean, it's established, I think, of a writer. And, you know, I, th- I think of somebody who isn't, I don't know, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I think of a woman. <laughs> but, and we're, we're not there yet, I don't think. Not Please quite. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I did want to ask you about one of your, uh, your your previous works because it was a favorite comic of mine, which was um, uh, Quantum and Woody. Oh, seriously! Thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I'm friends with James Asmus, and I just love. Oh my god, I love that book so much, and I love when you took over yeah. the second arc, and your work was just so great and fantastic on that book so this is the gushy uh, moment so much i really liked um i like that book because i don't draw a lot of humor um and i also don't get to draw a lot of just male beefcake and i felt <laughs> like there was a lot of room for that in quantum and woody which was super fun and then so yeah i did the second arc and then uh i handed it off over to my friend erica henderson to do the third arc mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that was really fun too she's doing a unbeatable squirrel girl at marvel now yeah um, no, yeah. you, you guys just, like, I mean, that's, you know, you and Erica and then what Tom Fowler was before that. Oh, yeah, that, I mean, that sucked for me from a purely selfish point of view, <laughs> just having to follow up after Tom Fowler. <laughs> like, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> I know, it was rough. It was, it was very rough, but, um, I mean, he's a master. But, oh, of course. Uh, everyone, everyone has a different voice, and uh, I, I like to think that I focused on the pecs a little bit more than he did. Not to say that he... Like, look, I, Draw some nice text, as a healthy, red-blooded American woman, I appreciate the, uh, <laughs> the <pecs. laughs> Thank you. Oh, I'm really glad to hear that, because 
that's it's funny you know like that is not usually I think what people think of me for <laughs> when they think think of my work but I, I have a very soft spot in my heart for a it, yeah, no, it's definitely one of those that um, I, I I was sad when it kind of went away, and because yeah. I love I love humor in comics, like especially you know writers like James who can who really just infuse it so much, and then you know from an artistic standpoint, how how is it for you actually doing comedy? <laughs> yeah, it's a that's interesting. Um, well, I the reason I said yes to Quantum and Woody was just because I wanted to stretch those muscles a little bit more. I'd never mm-hmm. drawn comedy before. Uh, and it is a totally different way of storytelling. And uh, I liked it because it kind of, it gave me a little bit more license to be more fast and loose with my lines, mm-hmm. which uh, is good because, you know, you got to do some more of that stretch and squash and on- anatomy that you get from cartoons and stuff. And mm-hmm. it, it was really, it was just a, a fun way to kind of stretch out some different muscles I mean like honestly my my bread and butter creatively is drawing like beautiful overwrought intense (laughs) elegant dark (laughs) uh glamorous creatures Mm. and I love that and that's always going to be what what I default to yeah (laughs) but yeah it's certainly fun to take a walk on the lighter side of life (laughs) Awesome, uh, and I really I do also want to point out uh, you. Uh, do you still have the shirt up for people to purchase? Because uh, you did yes. the uh, yeah the fight work uh, resist yes. persist. Yes, um, that's a great thing to plug right now in these dark days. Yes, um, I have a I have a threadless shop. It's uh, just mingdoyle.threadless.com, uh, and if you go over there, I have two designs where uh, all of the proceeds from them I donate every month to charities. The first one is Work, Fight, Resist, Persist, and it's just basically a clenched zombie monster hand. <laughs> uh, and all of the proceeds from that go to the ACLU, the American Civil Authorities Union. And um, my second design is called Crone Hand, and it's just a black and white photo of my own withered crone hand. <laughs> and if you buy that, I'll proceeds from that go to Planned Parenthood uh and that's something that I am going to have up in perpetuity Mm -hmm. uh I was really plugging it last January and uh I was able to raise about $400 for the ACLU and 200 bucks almost for Planned Parenthood in January which was amazing um this month February I've only made a few dollars Mm -hmm. but yeah so it's gonna be up forever and uh even if it gets to the point where I'm only donating five dollars a month I'll be doing that forever so no I I am I I wore the shirt the 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 zombie fist shirt to the women's march in Seattle so oh awesome do you have any pictures of that I maybe but I need to see if because I was wearing a couple of layers over it too because uh, yeah, it was yeah. cold um, <laughs> if I do I will send them to you that's another I'll also point this out that Threadless also has the designs available on very becoming crew necks and sweatshirts and oh good <laughs> <laughs> much more of a sweatshirt type of gal anyway so. yes yes but um, yeah in general if anyone wants to check those out uh, it's mingdoyle.threadless.com and if anyone has already bought them uh, then thank you so much for helping me support these worthwhile organizations. And if you have any sift pictures of you modeling them, please send them my way. Because I retweet them. <laughs> no, and and as we're kind of wrapping this up too, uh, the 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 final question I'd love to ask you is, um, what do you what would you like people to take away from Femme Magnifique, um, if not your story, then from the the anthology as a whole? 
Yeah, I think it goes back to just our earlier conversation. I mean, Shelly Shelley asked me to record a little something for the Kickstarter video, and one of the questions that they, they asked that they wanted the contributors to answer in video format was just that, what do you want people to take away? And mm-hmm. it's so simple. It's it's so simple it seems almost like you could trip right over, but <laughs> it's really just that a woman could, can be absolutely anything. And um, it has been absolutely everything already. Mm-hmm. So I, I just would like people to look at this at this book, at this collection of stories, and uh, hopefully have it kind of, um, if not open their minds to the possibility of women existing in every point of human history doing almost any job, and at least just kind of like further elaborate upon that knowledge if you are already working with it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. That's, that's, it's still a great answer. So <laughs> There we go. There I we mean, go. it's, it's simple and it's base level, but uh, I, I don't think it, Femme Magnifique is so revolutionary, but I think that it is um, still a worthwhile expansion mm-hmm. upon the broader discussion of uh, women in, in history and culture and the arts. Yeah, definitely. Um, I couldn't agree more with you. Um, so before we go then, uh, where can people find you and is there any, uh, are there any books you'd like to plug or any cons that you're going to be going to? Sure. Uh, you can find me online pretty much anywhere as Ming Doyle, M-I-N-G-D-O-Y-L-E. Uh, Twitter at Ming Doyle, Instagram at Ming Doyle, Tumblr, Ming Doyle. <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> I have a Patreon where, again, my username is Ming Doyle. <laughs> <laughs> One day you're just going to uh, trip it up with some other name. People are going to be like, I don't yeah, know. someday, someday. <laughs> uh, I did have a DeviantArt back in the day where I was mystery Ming just to keep it spicy, but nothing, <laughs> nothing new is going up there. In fact... Strike that. Don't go and look at my old <laughs> Don't go to DeviantArt. <laughs> Don't go to DeviantArt. Just go to Twitter and Tumblr. Uh, and, yeah, books that I'm working on. Oh, of course, I can't mention the one that I'm working on right now, uh, as per our earlier conversation. But mm. I just uh, illustrated um, a graphic novel for Amazon's, uh, for Amazon called Girl Over Paris that was written by Kate Lath. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, based on a YA series written by Gwenda Bond, and it's about uh, circus, the circus and ghosts and kissing ghosts and punching ghosts and being in the circus, and you can find that. All the things uh, you yeah, can do with ghosts. All the things you can do with ghosts, yes. Uh, Girl Over Paris, uh, I'd love for people to check out. Well, cool. And, and Ming, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's super fun. and. Uh, Elisa Quitney, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yay. And um, we are here to talk about Femme Magnifique, uh, which is a Kickstarter I'm pretty sure is going to be fully funded within another week or so at the rate it's going. (laughs) From your mouth to God's ear, as my grandmother would say. There we go. (laughs) My grandmother too. Oh my God. Maybe we have the same grandmother. Ooh. <laughs> There's the mystery right there. <laughs> um, and so to get the ball rolling, I guess, um, what was it that drew you to Ben Magnifique, or at least how did you get involved with it? Well, Shelly asked me if I would do it, and I was thrilled. Shelly and I had worked together at Vertigo, um, the imprint of DC Comics, mm-hmm. back when we were young and the earth was young. Mm-hmm. And... Um, <laughs> And we, we had worked together sort of co-editing and collaborating, and then I, she had also edited me when I did um, 
a, a, a story for Minx for her young adult line. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I, I enjoy working with her as a human being and I also really value her editing skills. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because uh, it should be noted that you worked on Sandman, uh, you know, if we're going to go for big titles here, which is awesome and one of my favorite comics, so, <laughs> so th- thank you for doing that. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I, I think the fact that I, I worked on, you know, Sandman and did letter columns for Sandman will, you know, probably be what's written on my gravestone. <laughs> I, do, do you want, like, a picture of Morpheus or death kind of, like, right next to you? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I actually have a picture. Um, I don't know if you know the artist Jim Mafood. Um, he he did a uh, one of his pieces was uh, Death and Delirium, who are my two like favorite characters in the Sandman mythos. So, just putting that out there. <laughs> well, you know the the thing that there are so many things to love about Sandman, but one of the things that I loved about the comics that I worked on, Shelley worked on, is there was this great sense of fun about them, even when things were serious, when when the topics were important. Mm-hmm. I feel like the atmosphere in the office was of creativity and fun. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that drew me to this project was the idea of doing something absolutely feminist, but that was also going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so, who is your inspiration uh, for the for the anthology? So I I think I may be the only person who's doing two. Oh, you're doing two. Okay. Yeah. Um, So, because I was so, I was like, oh my God, I could do this, but I could do that, you know? (laughs) And um, so Shelly was sort of saying, go for it, go for both. So with Jamie Coe, who's this wonderful young artist who, you know, has been working with Shelly and I'm very excited to to be meeting him, Mm -hmm. um, we're going to be doing Margaret Hamilton. Okay, yeah. And Margaret Hamilton, who just received the Medal of Freedom uh, when uh, there was a big uh, ceremony at, at the White House with, with Obama mm-hmm. um, right at the end of his term, sob, um, <laughs> I know. was, <laughs> you know, she, she's just this diminutive woman who's 80 years old and she has wonderful long hair still, kind of that great 70s hippie hair. <laughs> and um, and she was sitting, you know, I was watching this on, on television and, and see her sitting next to Tom Hanks, which was so cool. And I later found out because her daughter, Lauren, is a friend of mine that Tom Hanks sort of whispered to her saying, you know, I, um, you know, I'm sorry when we did Apollo 13 that I, I did not know that you were this integral part of the story of, of that mission. That's so sweet. <laughs> so it was sort of sweet and incredible. And, um, and then, Speaking with Lauren, one of the things uh, I found out about Margaret Hamilton, her mom, is mm-hmm. that she had this wicked sense of humor yeah. and was just, you know, one of the ways she managed to do the work that she was doing in a very male-dominated field in a madman era world mm-hmm. was she just had a, a really, you know, sort of a, a whimsical, witty way of, of going ahead and doing what she was going to do anyway, mm-hmm. but with chutzpah and humor. Yeah. So I thought, I have got to, to write this. Um, is there any, so uh, was, is yeah. it, was there a particular, like, line when you were kind of researching what you were going to write about? Like, uh, was there anything that she said that really, like, struck you, like, with the wit and the, and the humor? I think it was just, um, you know, I have, I'm hoping to actually be able to do 
a, a, an interview and to, to speak to her in person, and I haven't had that, that chance. Mm-hmm. And But the, the, the sense I got was it was just her approach that her, you know, her, she would walk into somebody's office and there, you know, were all these men and she was a young woman and there would be some girly poster on the wall and her attitude was sort of, uh, you know, a, a, a wink and a, a, a sense of understanding that this was, she, she, she was trying to sort of come at it sideways. I, mm-hmm. I had a feeling and just, just the expression on her face in the photographs had this sort of Tina Fey expression <laughs> in a very uh, serious world of math. Mm-hmm. I think that's um, that was sort of what inspired me about her, and, and humor is, is probably the the connective tissue here mm-hmm. because the other person that I very much wanted to write about, even though I have no personal connection, is Carrie Fisher. Oh yeah, Ugh. yeah. So Carrie Fisher feels, I think, like one of those people you feel like you know. I feel mm-hmm. like I knew her. I felt. Um, obviously when, when I was young and, and, and she was Princess Leia, she was the most relatable princess yeah. and at a time when, when women were still, you know, they could be pretty and if they were feisty, it was in this very pretty way, mm-hmm. feisty, like, 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 like the bachelorettes vying for the bachelor <laughs> as opposed to kind of feisty in a way that said, we are snarky, Dorothy Parker-ish mm, yeah. people. And um, and she was funny and witty. Mm-hmm. And, and there was there was this sort of different quality about her. Then it, it really stood out. And obviously, as she continued writing and, and got her own voice out and became a, a script doctor, she... Anyway, so she feels like someone I should have known, and I'm just so pissed off that, that she died. Yeah, it's like the minute you, yeah, like the minute I heard about, it, I was like, no, like she's one of the good ones, and we need her around, and especially because <clears throat> her, I mean, like you're saying, her humor, like her her sense of herself, like her self awareness, and just how open she was about you know the trials and tribulations of her life. I mean those are important stories because it's like she came out of it as, as well adjusted as she possibly could, you know, and, and tried to impart that wisdom onto the rest of us. (laughs) Yes. And and she was, you know, she was really honest Mm -hmm. and she was one of the first people to be honest in, in, in a really, in a way that both exposed herself and yet gave insight and the humor, part of the humor was insight was wisdom. Yeah. Um, And I, now, I have uh, this artist, Alain Morisset, who, um, he's from Belgium. We had been talking for years. We, we were supposed to work together on something, and then it didn't work out. We ended up just sort of talking all the time about the artistic process and, and you know, the struggle that you have of, of, you know, trying to make a living doing creative work. Mm-hmm. And um, he drew, after she died, some beautiful picture of, of young uh, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia mm-hmm. and her shadow is the shadow of Debbie Reynolds with the mm-hmm. umbrella singing in the rain it's this gorgeous image and mm-hmm. he has a style that has a, a lovely loose European um, it's not hyper realistic there's there's sort of a fluidity and, and a, a humor to it mm-hmm. and I looked at that and I thought you know we, we've got to do 
Carrie yeah. Fisher together. Oh my God. Yeah. And so with your approaches to Margaret Hamilton and Carrie Fisher, um, cause I know everyone is kind of telling the stories a little differently. Um, are you trying to go for more of a biographical or are you focusing on like a particular moment in their lives to kind of flesh them out? Um, I'm, I think it's, it's going to be a moment and some montage elements mm-hmm. of, you know, because I think three pages is, is hardly enough time to sort of <laughs> yeah. do, do a life. And I, you know, full disclosure, I haven't completely finished the writing. Mm-hmm. And so, and one of the ways I work is I also like to collaborate with the artist and speak to the artist as much as possible and sort of have that grow out of the, the space between us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that I kind of think of it as, you know, people talk about prose poems. I think of this as sort of a comic book poem to each of these women Mm -hmm. and um i know that the fact that this i have a feeling that this is going to come out wrong but the fact that carrie fisher died on an airplane to me also had just has partially this image that then she morphed into princess leia and was sort of going off into the air yeah that, that was sort of the it was sort of a the closure that I wanted was to send her off as Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. So I know that that, that um, is something that will we'll go into the comic. And with, I guess there's space elements to both of these stories. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, for um, Margaret Hamilton, I know that one of the thoughts that I keep having is that when I was a little girl and I'm watching I Dream of Jeannie, where... You know, there's this sort of magic servant girl mm-hmm. who's trying to help the astronaut, and science is the domain of the male, and magical feminine prisoner is, is the female. Yeah. In real life, you know, Margaret Hamilton's magic was math. Yeah. And being able to see outside of the box. And so those are, I don't know if that makes clear, but that's sort of where my thinking is going. No, it, it totally makes sense. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you're watching the show right now, but Emerald City on uh, uh, NBC. <laughs> I feel like need to. Everyone keeps, I think you may be the tipping point person for me. It's, um, oh, excellent. Don't put that on me. <laughs> uh, no, but I, you know, I've been keeping up with it because also one of the fellow contributors to Femme Magnifique is Kelly Sue DeConnick, who's been writing on that too. Um, and the, one of the prevailing themes is magic and science in that, it is a magical realm that was the realm of women. And then this one dude, the wizard shows up and he's like, no science, because magic is too empowering for women, you know? And it's just, it's so interesting, like how that, you know, cause this was probably written so long, you know, however long ago it was, but that it's really paralleling a lot of stuff that's kind of happening currently. Like, you know, uh, men yeah. taking over these spaces and women fighting back and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I, by the way, my cat seems to be going a little insane in the background here. He's now, oh. if your listeners can hear howling and rustling, um, I, I, I don't quite understand what's happening there. But that's, he's he's having a he's having a go at it. Because so. it was science magic. I'm, I'm a part of this. He wants to be in the podcast too. He's like, hey, I don't know how audio works, but here I am. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he's going to be as audible as possible. There we go. Um, yeah, I, I actually, the, I have um, a young adult novel that's coming out, which is sort of a, a feminist Frankenstein meets Grey's Anatomy, and it's it's about um, 
Elizabeth Lavenza, who in the original Mary Shelley Frankenstein is Victor's fiance in mm-hmm. this, is a, a, a the only female medical student at a very unusual school. Yeah. And so, <laughs> you hear the crashing of the cat. Um, yeah, so, so, so anyway, the, the whole idea of both celebrating women in science and, and talking about that feels like a, a big deal for me. And when I was writing it, I discovered how many women beat the odds. And I'm like, wait, I have to stop it. I'm, oh, my God. <laughs> sorry. Um, sorry about that. No, so, okay. But there really were women scientists, women medical students. I had never learned that Florence Nightingale was like a pioneering statistician. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not one of those things we learn about her. She was someone who started to keep statistics on what was really killing soldiers. And it, you know, it wasn't what people thought. It wasn't their battle wounds. It was a lack of hygiene in their care afterwards. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of, I mean, so there's so many interesting things, but women in nursing were often thought of like, oh, it's more about emotion and, and doctors and more about science. But actually, a lot of innovations have been created by women in nursing because they're the interface between the patient and, and mm-hmm. you know, and the doctor and whatever the patient needs. So I feel like there are a lot of untold stories. Yeah, and, and that's what I, especially getting out of all these interviews I've been doing, like this, this idea, I mean, it's this gendered idea of like what a woman can do because she's so emotional, quote unquote. Um, versus what a man can do because he's less emotional, you know, this really ridiculously outdated idea of what uh, men and women are, you know, when the spectrum is just so ridiculously, you know, diverse, uh, you know, some women are stone cold, some men are ridiculously heartfelt and, you know, uh, empathetic and warm and everything. So it's, you know, hearing things about like, you know, a woman being able to keep statistics and it, it has nothing to do with an emotional status. It's like, no, I'm trying to figure a problem out. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think that they're, you know, having lived long enough to have gone through different phases of, of feminism, mm-hmm. I think that there is, a, you know, a period where there was sort of this backlash and this feeling that feminism meant that you must have a mustache and no sense of humor. And, you know, it, it, it was this, so you had all these strong, interesting women, you know, saying that they weren't feminist as if it was a venereal disease. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like we're, we're sort of turning back from that again. And women are, are reclaiming feminism as what it is, which is not anti-man at all. It's mm-hmm. about, you know, really seeing that these these gender stereotypes don't have to define us and that, you know, if you understand that a nurse isn't just somebody who's a giant breast of comfort, then you respect both male and female nurses differently. Men have breasts too. It was just saying, like, they can also be a breast comfort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, um, I don't, I don't know if you participate in any of the women's march, uh, activities. Um, yeah, and so I was up in the Seattle, uh, march and what I really, uh, 
what really just kind of struck me too was the um the redefinition of feminism via the women's march where like these are what the things that we stand for this is what feminism is and it's intersectional it's you know it's everything it's women of color it's disabilities it's uh equality it's i mean it's all of this stuff that's what defines feminism and i was like thank you just thank you for for doing that you know that that official kind of reclaiming in, in a way Yes, and I think, you know, the other thing that I, I felt being on the march was how wonderful it was that there were some men there as well, mm-hmm. that there were, you know, that, that it was, that it was a feminism that embraced different, you know, different causes, mm-hmm. because some people were more strongly motivated by one cause, but I didn't get the feeling that anyone was disagreeing yeah. with <laughs> any of the causes, and uh, I was actually... My, my friend Lauren was the um, bus captain. We, we had a bus going from my back, and her son was there. Mm-hmm. And um, there was this really intense moment. We were on the metro going back toward the bus that was supposed to take us home to Rhinebeck. Mm-hmm. And the, the metro caught fire. Oh, no. So it, it suddenly stopped, and we were stuck for an hour. And there were all these, everyone was a marcher. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people were going to, we were worried our bus was going to leave. Other people were in danger of missing flights. Yeah. But we all just bonded. Mm-hmm. You know, it was and for an hour, not knowing what was going to happen. Everybody just really bonded. And it, we got to hear all the different stories of the people. And it was, um, it was a really cool, intense moment. Yeah, I, I participated with a couple of, uh, I'm an archivist uh, by trade, um, and so two of my colleagues, we helped with a, a volunteer effort to record oral histories uh, while we were there. Um, so, fantastic. Yeah, and, and so getting to hear like so many different stories, like I was kind of the one on the ground going and getting people and be like, hey, we're doing this thing, I promise it's not seedy or weird or anything, <laughs> but, um, but getting to have so many people come and want to tell their story and, you know, what's uniting them, you know, because nothing was completely the same story. It all just stemmed from a, a desire to, uh, to change the world in their own way. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the things I actually can mention about the march is that my sign, I decided to uh, have a Wonder Woman on my sign. Mm-hmm. And like most people who write or edit comics, I can draw a little, not very well. So it was a really <laughs> malformed Wonder Woman. But people responded so strongly to it. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking how comics and iconic images and female heroes really feel inspirational definitely one woman said to me oh my god i've got a tattoo of wonder woman on my back and i said i really hope the artist was better than i am <laughs> <laughs> someone looks at your picture like i'm gonna get that on my back you're like no 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 <laughs> see yeah because uh I, I actually have a dc hero on my arm it's uh, big barda oh big barda yeah. i love it i want to see uh let's see if we can do this okay. It's on, it's on the arm, so I pardon, this will not go in the episode, but pardon that. Ugh. Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, wow. That is, that is a fantastic big part. I wish, I wish, um, was it, that's a, that's a Kirby design, right? Yeah, that- it, yeah, Kirby's character, it's from, uh, what is it, Jeff Loeb's, uh, Superman Batman run, uh, Michael Turner did this particular version of her, um, but I just, I've, 
as much as I've gradu- uh, graduated, gravitated towards uh, Wonder Woman, I just really was such a fan of Barda and just like she represents everything I want in a female hero. So uh, it's like the two of them, they did a, a TV movie about it too, or a, a direct to DVD. That's like my favorite one because it shows her and Wonder Woman like kicking ass with the female furies and everything. And it's just like, yes, I want this movie. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, you know, when I was a kid, there was this brief moment in time um, where there were these overtly feminist superheroines. Mm-hmm. And the two, it's funny, they were from Marvel, actually, not from DC. Uh, one was the original Shanna the She-Devil, mm-hmm. which was um, partially created by a woman. And the other was the cat. And, you know, it, it was interesting because the cat was a, a, a young uh, college woman who was mentored by a feminist professor. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and Shanna was the she-devil with a PhD. Uh, so it, it, was, it was this whole idea of women as educated, kick-ass superheroes. Mm-hmm. And I... You know, it, it's really interesting because I know there's other wonderful things being done in comics, but I, I kind of haven't seen as much of that as I would like. Yeah. As, you know, and, and I think, you know, Shanna has been through other incarnations that mm-hmm. aren't, um, you know, don't speak to me <laughs> in the way that the original one did. Yeah. No, there's a, there's a book I have, I think uh, Mike Madrid did. It's about uh, the comics of the 40s and how you know women were portrayed then like these female heroes because they had such a wide array actually of professions in the golden age oh interesting i want to point out that i'm not that old oh neither am i (laughs) but it's an interesting read because you look at you know what changed once you know like the wortham book came out and how women became depicted as like, oh, they're Susie Homemaker now, and the girlfriend or the wife of so-and-so, instead of in the 40s when they were like spies and doctors and lawyers and all this kind of stuff. And uh, and it feels like only in the last maybe decade or so we're trying to like get that back. Like, we're not just the girlfriends, we're, we're capable of doing all these things on our own. Yeah. Defining characteristic. Yeah, like we we we're not all the pretty girl on the side that gets stuffed into a refrigerator just so you can feel good about yourself. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's this, um, you know, the the superhero trope of the five man band. Yeah, yeah. And so there's like the, the 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 smart small guy, and mm-hmm. there's the leader and the sidekick, and there's like the girl. Yep. The girl with the tambourine kind of <laughs> part of the, the band. Um, <laughs> And I, I just kept feeling, you know, I, I, I don't know if this is, is sort of related, but when I was, I did a project, I did a, a, um, a novel for, for Marvel, and at one point they said that I, it was based on a wonderful Brian Bendis storyline, and they, but I could swap out characters and do mm-hmm. something a little different, and there had been one strong female character in it, Spider Woman. I said I'd like to have the Black Widow. Mm. And they assumed that what I meant was that I wanted to take out Spider-Woman and replace her with the Black Widow because the whole idea that you would want to have two female characters interact in a group of five, just, you know, because you have a group of five and one of them's a girl. Yeah, not two of them. Like, I yeah, I was um, I was explaining that to a friend of mine too because we were talking about tropes, and uh, I was like, okay, 
the five man band. Cause like in cartoons, when I was growing up, uh, you know, it was always like five guys, one girl. And, uh, if another woman showed up, it was always the evil chick or the one who's trying to take, you know, make the other one jealous or, or something. It was never, oh, hey, another cool rad chick is joining our group. Let's let's be friends. It's like, no, I hate her because she's another woman. It's like, it's true. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to go to see the new John Wick movie tonight. Mm. But I was thinking the idea of the dead wife as like the sacred thing that's the only the civilizing thing you left behind. I just do want someone to do a movie or a story in which there's some kick-ass woman and there's just, you know, there's the dead ex-husband, you know, <laughs> you know, husband, and she just looks at the little video of him to remind her of when she used to have feelings. But, yeah, what? I mean, come on. If guys can be emotionless <laughs> and still kick-ass, so can women. <laughs> um, so we're, we're kind of about, about wrapping this up, but um, before we go, uh, this last question is more... What would you like people to take away from Femme Magnifique, if not from your stories, then from the uh, the anthology as, as a whole? Um, you know, I knew this question was coming, and I was I was trying to to think about the the, the, the one clever thing yeah. that I would say. I want you to take away this. You know, the <laughs> secret, the answer, three. Tell me. <laughs> awesome and i hope the same things um uh so uh where can people uh find you online if they wish to interact and uh, do you have anything you want to promote con wise or book wise uh for for people to know about oh thanks uh, well let's see i'm i'm alisa quitney with the odd spelling of k-w-i-t-n-e-y um and i am on twitter and Facebook and, and all those places. Um, in addition to writing, I also have a small imprint, Liminal Comics, and now my cat is once again trying to tear down the room. Does he have um, a Twitter account that people can reach him? <laughs> I think he's like an alarm cat at this point. Yeah. Um, but so Liminal Comics, which is an imprint of um, Brain Mill Press, and I'm going to be, we, we have a table that's going to be at MoCA this April, and um, yeah, and so that's that's basically um, when I'm not wrangling my cat. Mm-hmm. That's what I'll be doing. Excellent. Thank you uh, so much, Elisa, for coming on the show. I have just been blown away by the amount of people who wanted to do this, and it's just awesome talking to some really rad ladies. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I cannot wait to hear all of these different podcasts, and um, I'm also really glad you shared your big Barda tattoo with me. 
you know, it's it's one of those bonding moments. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, I don't want to keep you too long, uh, so you can go about the rest of your day. But thank you again, and uh, to everyone listening, goodbye, everybody. Découvrir ma liberté, oublier donc tout vos clichés.